0: Welcome back for another week. Our learning is dedicated to the Eloy Nishmat Rivka, but Yaakov Lucy Maya, and Rina D. Our full year sponsors, Yitzia Naomi Hallander, complete Rafua for all Cholim, Michelle and Gary Friedman, in memory of Chanamalka, but David and Rafus Shleiman for Rachel, Meryl Hinda, but Miriam Rifka, Our half year sponsor, Rafua for Menucha Tova, but Chava Devora. Our Spotify sponsor, Rafua for all those injured in Eretz Yisrael. Before we start, Parakeet Aleph, I just want to share with you uh, a message I got this week. Uh, Mia Weiss, I won't hear this for a bit because she's a little bit behind us, but she sent me a, a, a note saying that the stories that we're learning in Yoshua and Shoftim and Shmuel, they they just resonate so much as we're going through, or as Am is going through what they're going through nowadays, and uh, and I think that there's there's a lot of truth to this. I was thinking this week as I was driving, the the stories of Shmuel take place in the route from Gaza all the way to main, the heart of Eretz Israel, and the fact is that uh, we're still here, and the the plishtim that existed in the times of Shmuel Aleph are long gone and all of our enemies are long gone. And Amir Hashem, Hashem should give us the strength to endure what we're going through. And Ami Salchai, we should continue to exist and be a light into the nations. So Mia, thank you so much for your kind words. Um, And uh, anybody, feel free always to reach out with any feedback you have, anything that you want to share. Let's begin, Perak Yud Aleph. I think that the most important thing for this parak is to have a sense of the lay of the land. Before, without that, I think it's very, very difficult to appreciate the story. I, I got a message late last night, early this morning from someone asking, how do you have a siyum on Nach for fourth and fifth grade girls? How do you do something like that? And I said, the most important thing I think is not only to teach them the exciting stories, hopefully they'll learn that, but to show them, That the stories have relevance to their lives on two fronts. First off, it's it's the Nitzchiyot of Am Yisrael. It's the story of our people, and it's the story that will be forever for our people. That's one. But I think that the most important pieces they have to appreciate is that they're literally walking. When you come to Israel, you're literally walking in the footsteps of the Avot. You're walking in the footsteps of the prophets. It really is something for real. And I don't think you could appreciate this Perek fully without that. So, HaTanach, once again, to the rescue. This is our Perek. So, if you take a look at the bottom part of the map, you have this the, the town of Giva, which is in the Nachala of Binyamin, which is where Shaul is living. We have to go back to that in just a few minutes. And then there's Gilgal. We're going to see Gilgal at the end of the story ever so briefly. That is the Gilgal near Yericho that Am Yisrael camp in that area upon their initial entry into the land of Israel. And if you go north, you'll end up in Bezek. Now, Bezek is north of Shechem, and you just basically follow the windy route of, of the 60, and eventually you find yourself at Bezek. Right across from Bezek, on the other side of the Yardin, you can see, if you look really closely at the map, that is the Jordan River as it's winding down from the uh, the north to the south. Right across it there is Yavesh Kilad, and Yavesh Kilad is going to be the place that is going to be the center of everything that we are going to learn in this parak today. Now, I think that when we read Pasuk Aleph, we should have two questions. So let's let's read them. The, the let's read the Pasach Aleph and this, the questions are up on the screen. So if you're looking, you could already look at them. If you're watching, if you're only listening, you'll have to wait a moment. But Vayal Nachash amoni Vayichan al Nachal So Nachash HaAmoni, who is the king of Amon, he camps by Yavay Shkilad. Yavei shkilad el nachash, Brit venavdeka. So the, the people of Yavesh Gilad realize this is not going to end well. And so they say, let's make a treaty. Let's make a treaty between you and me. Now, Rav Bazak points out that there are two types of treaties. There is a treaty, Im, the harot imo berit. I make a berit with someone. And there's karat brit le, krat lanu. The difference is when I make one im, it's that we're, not that we're equals, because when we make a Brit with God, we're not equals. But what, what, what we're saying is that we believe that we are on the same page. It's not that I'm subservient in a bad way to the person, but you have two nations that say, listen, you know what? We both have financial interests. We both have a lot of interest in making a covenant with each other. So you make this treaty and it's mutually beneficial. And then you have Karatlanu. What's Karatlanu? Karatlanu is where the weaker group says, I'm willing to make a deal with you. I really want to do that. However, I understand that you are the player and I am not. You are where it's at. I certainly am not. And that's exactly what's going on here. The people of Yavesh Gilad say, we're MoDad. This is not something that we deserve. We beg you, let's make a, de- let's make a deal. So, the question is Wasn't Amon defeated in the times of Yiftah? What happened? Where did Amon come back from? That's number one. And number two is Where else do we know about the people of Yavesh Gilad? And is that important to us? So, let's start with the first question. That says that they were defeated. But slowly, as time went on, Yavesh, uh, Amon rises back up. From the ashes, they rebuild and they become a powerhouse of sorts in the area. Now, if you if you look at the map on the left of the screen, you'll see that over here, right across from where it says question number two is Ammon. And Ammon, from Rabat bin Ammon, which is their capital, they went to Yavesh Kilad. That's where they lay siege. That's their attack. And they're ready for that. Now, do we know about the people of Yavesh Gilad? The answer is yes, we do know about the people of Yavesh Gilad. Yavesh Gilad play into the story of uh, Pelegesh Begiva. At the very end of Shoftim, we actually said, stay tuned, in 12 weeks, we will get to this point. And so here we are, three months later, yeah, the people of Yavesh Gilad were the only people that did not participate in the battle against the Sheva Binyamin. Now, it ends up being Bain Latov, Bain Lara. There's good and bad in it. The good part is that they have 400 daughters, and their daughters were the ones that married two thirds of those people from Binyamin. That's the good part. The bad part, the downside of the whole thing is that all the men are killed because they didn't come to the defense of Am Yisrael. So those are the people of Yavesh Gilad. So in a sense, they have deep ties with Binyamin. First of all, they didn't attack Binyamin, that's good. And second of all, they're married in. But on the other hand, the people of Yavesh Gilad are people that have shown a lack of solidarity towards all of Am Yisrael. Put that on the back burner, and now what do we have? We have an ammon that's risen back to power. We have a Yavesh Gilad that senses that they're in a bad place. And so now we have to understand what is going to happen next. So they ask for a covenant. They say, please, we beg you. Let's let's make a treaty. Nachash says, "Fine, I'm okay. I'll make a treaty with you. lachem yamin. I'm willing to do a treaty with you if you are willing to pierce out every one of your right eyes. i al kol Yisrael, and you will be an embarrassment, a b'zayon on all of the Jewish people." It's interesting. Goliath makes the same point that Vecherpa. It's going to be an embarrassment. It's going to be an ab- like something disgusting. So the question is, why does Amun attack this area specifically? That is, um, that is a question that I think we have to try to understand um, a little bit. So let's take a look at the Malbim first. The Malbim's answer is Nira Hitkanein Shimlichu Yisal Melech. Ammon's upset that the Jewish people appointed themselves a king. He wanted to bait him into a war. And therefore, he attacks Mi Gilad. Why? There's familial ties here since Binyamin married their daughters. And therefore, there are people from Binyamin that would live there. All the men were killed. So that means that the daughters would have inherited all the property. So he says, I know it's going to happen. Because these are people of Binyamin that own the property there. So what's going to happen? Sha'ul is going to engage in war. That is the opinion of the Malvin. Metsudah's David says, So Metsudah's David says, you know what the B'zayon is? You know what the embarrassment is? The embarrassment is that they can't win. They're not going to be able to save the Jewish people. The Jewish people will lose. Meaning, it seems like the Metsudah's David takes the Malbim to the next step. Yes, they're from Benjamin. Yes, they will attack. Yes, they will defend. And yes, they will lose. And when they lose, what a cherpa It will be to the Jewish people. Rav Amnon Bezak, though, suggests a very different answer. He says, I think it's very possible that no one cares. And if no one cares, then no one will attack back. No one will come to the defense of the Jewish people in Yavesh Gilad. Now, why is that? Why would no one come to their defense? It's a great question. Well, no one come to their defense because I'm Yisrael soul say, why? Why is it that we should be the ones to put ourselves out? You didn't. You didn't put out to save us or to be with us in the case of Pilagish Begiva. So we're not there for you at all. They're gonna go back to that Pasuk in and the end of Shoftim and say, mm-hmm. That's the only one. One hand washes the other, but what happens when one hand doesn't wash the other? Then that 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 person says, "We're not we're not in tandem, and if we're not in tandem, I have zero interest in helping you out." That is really a very difficult place to find ourselves in. So pasagimul Vayomiru elav zikne yavesh lanu shivat yamim. So the people of Yavesh Gilad say, Listen, we need a week. Give us a week, and we're going to send messengers to all of Eretz Yisrael. And let's see. Maybe someone will come to our rescue. Says the Ra'al Bag. I don't understand. Why in the world would would Amon agree to this? It makes zero sense. He says, "Vinei eskima zeh nachash ki daitoi tali lachem im Yisrael, laka ha datarzav im Yuchal, vinei baod very mad Shaul v'sive v'savav shenisu kol Yisrael lachem nachash." He wanted a war. Why does he want a war? He wants a pretense to attack and then conquer all of am- all of Eretz Yisrael. He thinks to himself, "There's no way I'm going to do this. How am I going to make an attack? I'm going to be the aggressor." If I start the war, I'm going to be the aggressor. That's normally how we look at things. Sadly, we live in a twisted world that doesn't look at things that way. But G- hit war- World War II, Germany started the war. They're the aggressor. In the history books, no, we all look and say Germany is the cause of World War II. If Germany had said, we're going to just live in Germany and just do our thing, there wouldn't have been a necessity for World War II, and we wouldn't have had to have millions and millions of people die. Says Amon, I can't go attack. It's gonna happen. I'm gonna get beat up. But if I attack don't okay, it's a border town. I could argue it's my it's it's close enough to me. I'm entitled. And what's gonna happen when I attack like that? The fact is that the rest of Amusel says the Bagh, will join in. When that happens, it will lead to a clash of Amisol and Amon. And Amon was confident that he would win. That is the Ra'al Bag's take on it. Pasuk ha'malachim givat Sha'ul b'aznei Now this is really amazing. The messengers come to Givat Sha'ul. Givah, Sha'ul's hometown. And they tell this to all the people. And everybody starts crying. They raise up their voices and cry and scream out, oh my gosh, this is terrible, this is horrible. What's amazing is, Shul isn't the one that they come to. It's not even clear. Did they come to Shaul? Is that why they came to Givat Shaul? Or is it possible that they really only came to what? They sent messengers to every place. And one of the places happened to have been Givat Shaul. But they were not actively seeking the king. Shaul Shaul Mala Shaul didn't even hear it. He hears it through the grapevine. He hears his crying and he says, what's going on? What is this? What is all the crying about? And they tell him the, the words of Ansheya Avesh. What is amazing is that, what is Shaul doing? He was anointed the king. He was announced the king. Everybody said, long live the king, or maybe not everyone, but there was enough of a cry, yay, we have a king, and Shaul goes back to his, his, his house. He's tending to the fields. It is bizarre. So bizarre. But I think that this speaks volumes to where Shaul is. Shmuel is, Sefer Shmuel is the fixing of that pasuk. That's the refrain at the end of Sefer Shoften. There's no king, and everybody did what they wanted. The refrain is, no, it's okay. There is a king, but he's not there yet. Right now, the king still is very much in the shadows, and he's still living at home, and he's still doing his thing and tending to his farm. The Spirit of God rests upon him. We've had this phrase or a similar phrase several times throughout Yoshua and Shoftim and Shmuel, when that happens, I think particularly by Shimshon, when that happens, it means that the person is like overcome by some sense of prophecy or, or divine inspiration. If it's divine inspiration, what is God doing? God is giving the person the ability to make a really good decision militarily to help the Jewish people. So Shaul has this like aura this this vibe to him. God comes to him, and he gets really angry and now listen to what he does he takes his uh his pair of uh of axen that he's plowing his field with, and he cuts them up and he sends it amongst. All of Am Yisol, he sends it to all the Shvatim, the Yadam Alachim with these same messengers. He says, I want you to go out on my behalf and say to them, anybody that does not follow Shaul and Shmuel, this is what will happen to his animals. And what happens? There is a fear of God that envelops it overcomes them, and they all go out. So much to unpack there. First off, this cutting of the animals and sending it out should tell us it's it's a, it sounds like another story. It sounds like pilageh Begiva. except there it is not a it's not the animals that are cut up, but it's the woman, the pilageh, the concubine, is cut up and sent all around. she needs to do dr- something drastic. So he does something that's reminiscent of pilagish Begiva. That is something that's going to shake the people to the core. What's interesting is, I think, the pilagish Begiva motif is very strong on purpose throughout this, these psokim. We'll see linguistically, there are lines that bring us back there as well, not just the style. And in a certain sense, it's a continuation of the story. No, Melech, pilagish Begiva, Still no melech, except now there is a bit of a king. He's not fully there yet, but he's king-ish. And we're going to see that it goes really well because Shaul is going to step up to the plate and he's going to behave in a way that is kingly. And he's going to do what the, what Amisol was missing in Pelegesh Begiva. And most importantly, they're turning themselves outward. It's not that they're fighting Uniting keiish echad against Am Yisrael. its not the Am Yisrael against Am Yisrael, but rather it's Am Yisrael against Ammon. Now, what's interesting is the pasuk ended ki echad, echad. Now we're familiar with keiish echad belevechad. There is not a pasuk in the Torah that's Rashi on vayichan sham Yisrael har keiish echad What is interesting is that keiish echad only comes up in Tanakh nine times. Three of them are in Pilagish Begiva, and we have one here. So four of the nine times in Tanakh that we have Kiishechad are tied to this to the sto- a story that sounds or feels a lot like Pilagish Begiva. So what happens? It's Shaul gathers the people in Bezek. gathers the people in Bezek. There are 300,000 soldiers, and from Yehuda, there's 30,000. Now, if you have if you have 12 shvatim, 300,000 troops, so you do the math. The math is under 30,000 per shevet, and now it's telling us that the Ish Yudah is Shoshim Elef. So maybe it's possible the reason why it highlights that Ish Yisrael is Shoshim Elef is because Yehuda is a little bit more than everyone else. That's a possibility. But perhaps there's another possibility, and that is that Yehuda is the fighting force. They're always the leaders, and that's great. But there actually is a little bit of an inner tension. Every time there's going to be a battle, it's going to tell us this is the total force, and this is how many people of Yehuda there are. Why? Because it is the challenge of every king, particularly a king like Shaul, who is not from Shevet Yehuda, to be machshev Yehuda. Yehuda, you are the leaders, you are the head, you are our We we follow you. You say, Acharai, behind me. That's great. But also, there is the fear that Yehuda is going to be severed from the rest of the Jewish people. And of course, Bazak points out that this is actually what's going to happen in the end. Unfortunately, this is foreshadowing of the ultimate split that's going to happen in not that long of a time from here. So pasuk tet, pasuk tet. What happens? So the angels, the messengers go back to Yavesh Gilad and say, "Tomorrow, a great salvation will come to you in the uh, as the sun rises in the heat of the and, and in the heat of the day." They tell the, the, the people of Yavesh. The people are very happy. I want to circle back to Rabbi Hatton. This is Rabbi Hatton from Shoftim. He says the mirror effect is stunning. Now it is a Benjaminite who saves the day. It is Yaveshki Gilad that is rescued from harm. It is the ox that triggers the necessary reaction. It is all of the tribes of Israel that gather as one to fight off the Ammonite tyrant. A brighter future begins to emerge out of this dynamic in the figure of an effective and upright leader. Keeping the dismal conclusion of the book of Judges in mind, we might describe this new and wonderful chapter in the history of the people of Israel as follows. In these days, there is a king of Israel and no man does what is fit in his own eyes. Shaul makes it very clear. There is no stepping out. You're not coming? No worries. I'm going to cut your animals just like I did this. Shaul takes a decisive step to take the disunity of Amusel and bring them back together. I know I've said this several times, so I apologize if I, if I repeat myself, but is this not the difference between October 6th and October 7th? I remember thinking, in the days leading up to October 7th, how is this going to ever end? Am Yisrael is so divided in Eretz Yisrael. It's, it's, it's crazy. It's so crazy. I remember on Yom Kippur, think, after Yom Kippur, hearing the news of the fact that the, the religious and the non-religious, the right and the left, the the absolute cutthroat fighting that was there, it's just, Ad Khan, Ad, Ad Matai, how is it ever going to end? Comes along October 7th and it's all gone. Comes along Shaul and he does the same thing. He says, yes, I know, Peleish Begiva is a cataclysmic event. How? How could Am do that? Because Comes along, Sheol, and says in these days, there is a king. And no man does what is fit. You do what I say, you do what's best for Kalal Yisrael. And that, I believe, is a big piece of the message of Pasuk Tet. Okay, so the Jews are in Be- are going to come to Bezek. Pasuk Yud, Vayomru, Anchei Gilad. Avish aleichem. So comes along and say, and the people of Yavesh Gilad, they turn to Amon and they say, okay, the seven days are up, says the Abarbanel. What are we supposed to do? So we're saying to you, tomorrow, tomorrow, we will go out to you and you could do whatever you want us. Abarbanel says, It's a double-sided thing. What they're saying is like, well, actually, you could read it this way. You're going to read it as that you're going to take us over. But Yisrael, the people of Ya Yavesh said, "We're going out to war tomorrow." But, but it was the Ammonim that read it, the Ammonim that heard it as tomorrow we are going to defeat you because you're surrendering. (laughs) Shaul divides the people into three groups. Each group, I guess, would be about 100,000 troops. This is an important number to recognize. 300,000 troops. There's not a single battle in all of Sefer them, other than Pelegesh Begiva, that has numbers even close to that. Most of them don't even have 10%. 30,000, 40,000. The Jews come out uh, 300,000 strong, divide up into two, three units of 100,000 each. And they come into the camp of Yavesh Gilad, of Ammon in the early part of the morning, that's when they come out there. B'ashmored aboker only comes out twice in all of Tanakh. Now, even though the Mepharshim will point out that this is similar to Gidon, and, and we have that there as well, let's recognize that the only other time we have et aboker is Parsha Pashalach. we'll read it, please, God, next Shabbos, by Kriyat Yamsov. Kriyat Yamsov takes place in the early, early part of the morning. The same thing here. There is a certain a certain feel to this story. And that feel is that this is going to be something on the level. It is going to be as grandiose for Kalal even if not in terms of the 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 display, yes, splitting the sea, much cooler than, than routing Amon. But it is a redemptive quality to the story that is the same. And they, they defeat Amon until the heat of the day. And the leftovers, they scatter and not two people together existed. That Tatmikra says this is actually a derech shira. They're, they're singing out to God. What are they singing out? That the nisharim, they ran away. And not two people were together. That's what a rout it was. And Amon, I believe, never imagined that Kalal Yisrael would rally up to this point. I do believe that a bizarre pshat that no one cares is likely the one that's spot on. Yavesh Gilad was an easy an easy target. I don't think Amon thought that you get an army of three hundred thousand troops to come out in battle. So the nation turns to Shmuel and says, "Wait, who are those people at the end of last parak that said who is this Shal that he's going to um, that he's going to rule over us? They're looking for those people that mocked the people that scorned." The people that taunted, the people that said, Shaul is a lo he's a nothing, and why are we stuck with him? Who is Shaul? He's just tall. That's it. says, give us those people and we will kill them. They have accepted Shaul as the king. And as such, they now say, those those people were mori b'malchot, they rebelled against the king, and justice needs to be served. Shaul says, no, no one will die. We're not going that route. I think that what Shaul does is so brilliant is that he takes Am Yisrael and says, no, we will not allow any bit, small or large, of rebellion or of, of civil war. We are going to take this unity forced upon them perhaps because they did not want their animals cut in half. But we're going to take this unity, and we're going to take it to the finish line. We're not going to. We're not going to seek justice, but we're going to accept the beauty of this tapestry of Kalal yisrael. <speaking in Hebrew> Shmuel says to the people, <speaking in Hebrew> Let's go to Gilgal. <speaking in Hebrew> and there we will re uh, renew the kingdom. Why in Gilgal? So one possibility is that Gilgal is on the way home. Most of Kalal are going home from the north to the south. So they're going down the road. In fact, there's two ways to get from Bezek, that area over here, to Gilgal. You can take the windy road of the 60, or there's another highway that cuts right down there, the 90. They're all going there, and then from there, they'll end up back in Yerushalayim, and Yehuda, and Shimon, etc., etc., and Binyamin, they'll go home. That's one possibility, but perhaps another possibility is why they're going back to Gilgal, because Gilgal is the home, the place of the first Jewish settlement. That's where Am Yisrael came united to conquer the land of Israel. Shmuel says, "Let's go back there. Let us not only rekindle, renew. Shaul, he's now coming to become our, he's now our king, a place where everybody's accepting him. That's great. But let's also go. And reset and renew the mission of Am Yisrael. and that mission was never clearer than in Sefer Yeshua. So what happens? They go to Gilgal, they anoint him the king, and they bring lots of Corbano to God. A sham Shaul, and Shaul was happy, and all the people were very, very, very happy. What's fascinating in this story is that we have ourselves an amazing moment. We see a transformation in Shaul. Shaul the farmer, Shaul the man that was tending to his animals at the beginning of the parak is not the is not the same one at the end. He is firmly entrenched as the king of the Jewish people. But you see also a change in the people. The sense at the end of P- Parag Yud was, you know, Shal's our king. It's a polite applause. But the sense in Pasuk Vav at the end of Yud Aleph is this Madison Square Garden feel. The, sh- the crowd is shaking. Why? Because they've all bought into it. In parak yud, you get the sense that not everyone's buying what Shmuel is selling. At the end of parak yud aleph, it seems like everyone is buying, and everybody wants to jump on the shoal bandwagon. Miratz Hashem, we will pick up next week with parak yud bet. Parak bet is where Sh- Shmuel kind of says his goodbye to the people, and he basically retires. We're going to see that next time, and perhaps we'll begin to see some of the cracks in Shaul's monarchy. Thank you once again for joining us. Have a wonderful week and keep walking in the ways of the prophets.